Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Jake, one of your co-hosts. I'm joined by my other co-host, Tom. This is Yanks Go Talking, where we talk about US soccer and MLS. Tom, what's new on your end? Not much, Jake. Tired, been up all night for work the last few nights, but I'm here and ready to talk some soccer. Yeah, the the astrophysicist nerd in you that helps us with our soccer <laughs> stats has been up watching distant stars, if I recall. Is that correct? Yeah, that that's correct. Nice. That's awesome. Well, thanks for waking up for all of our fans and listeners out there. All all 40 of them. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> hey, they we have a lot it. more than that now, and we're really grateful for that. That's true. That's true. Our last episode, episode four, hit a thousand views on YouTube. I think the the YouTube algorithm really liked something in that video. But to anyone watching us, to anyone listening, we just really, really appreciate people that want to hear what we have to say. I don't know why anyone would, but that's why we're recording and talking about it. So yeah, thanks to everyone out there. If you do enjoy the episodes, give us a like, subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow. But without further ado, what we're going to talk about today the the last 45 minutes or so is a really interesting interview and sit down chat with Sam Stokes from Yank Report. So you won't want to miss that. We'll talk about how he got started with his YouTube channel, what being a fan in Louisiana is like for someone that's obsessed with soccer and how YouTube and, and just the online presence in general has really improved in the previous years and gives everyone an outlet for this niche sport in America that we all love and follow. So the first up, though, we do want to give a wrap up to some of the MLS players that are on the provisional Gold Cup roster. So last night we did see some goals specifically from Cade Cowell. Um, Gianluca Busio didn't score, but he had a man of the match performance for Sporting KC and hit the bar on a free kick. And Jonathan Gomez, who's a Louisville City player in USL, also scored, had a man of the match performance. So some players that maybe rose to the occasion and saw their names on that list and really wanted to make a statement for getting to that Gold Cup. Tom, was there anyone that stood out for you or anyone that you're really looking forward to seeing on the final roster? Jonathan Gomez is trying his best to shut me up. <laughs> He's put two goals in now, and it's getting a little harder to not... Let's take a look at him during the Gold Cup. We'll, we'll see if it happens or not. I also thought that George Bellow has been one of the better right spots for Atlanta over the next, last few matches. So that's another left back you did consider. DK also had a brace over the, mm. the midweek game. Um, one of them coming from a Jackson Ewell turnover. Tanani with the assist. So some again, some players that are really making statements. I, I think Yule is probably in a bit of a funk after the Nations League finals games, just really lacking confidence and not really doing what he does best. Uh, you know, people love to hate. People love to, you know, jump on people that haven't been performing. But in terms of just supporting the players that can have a spot in this team, Jackson Yule, it's it's sad to see kind of the decline in quality since the Nations League. Hope he can pick it up. Hope he can get back into the the maybe 30 man roster, but I mean, with the provisional that's 59 and it's kind of other players outside of our 23. So when you take a full look at it, it's kind of like the best 80 players for the U S I, I think I do want to touch on Canada and Mexico putting out their roster selections. And it does seem like they're going to be bringing their a teams, their best 23 besides a, a very few select players to the gold cup. What does that mean necessarily for the U S men's national team? Is that a good decision for Canada and Mexico? Like what's, what are they thinking? I tend to think it's a mistake and, you know, never interrupt your opponent when they're making a mistake. I am totally fine with them bringing their A teams here because I don't think that bringing one like Alfonso Davies after the year he's had and the sub he's had is a wise move when you could have him month for mental health and recovery and relaxation. I love how you brought some Sun Tzu in there, some art of war. <laughs> we, we will definitely not get in our, our opponent's way for making a mistake. It is really interesting to think about Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies, players we touched on in the last episode that have just had really long seasons and then had to go through some grueling games just to qualify for the final eight World Cup qualifying. 
Mexico is a little bit different in that respect where I don't know if it's because Tata Martino, their coach is under a bit more pressure now and that made him call in a better team because he doesn't want to lose two tournaments in a row or because they're trying to finagle or, or try different things before the World Cup qualifying starts. What do you think is happening with the Mexico team, Tom? I think it's exactly that. I think that Mexico has not handled the Nations League law well, especially in the press. And they're going to go all out to save the Gold Cup. Those are really the two biggest things. I think Tata Martino is now under a ton of pressure after losing to the U.S. in the Nations League and really not having good results in their friendlies since he's taken the job, honestly. The, the other part is I, I love the fact that the U.S. in this perspective, in this scenario, is really just there to try and find the role players. The, the pressure is all off of the team. And not only is that good for the U.S., but the fact that Mexico and Canada are bringing their best players, we now get to see our fringe role players play against the competition that they would in World Cup qualifiers. So we're not talking about you know playing against Canada's B team or only seeing Gianluca Busio play against Curacao or, or Haiti. We're, we're going to watch them. Canada is in our group, so we will definitely play Canada. And if we come in first or second, and we could potentially play Jamaica or Mexico as well. So it it bodes well on two ends, I think. One is that we get to see fringe players to really hit their mark and make their case for World Cup qualifying, because we are going to need all the players that we can with the depth that we have. But on the, the other side, we get to see them against the competition that they'll be playing against in those World Cup qualifiers instead of maybe the lower quality competition that would have happened if those teams also brought their B squads. Oh, yeah. Even just the other group is going to be a challenge for our B team. And that's a good thing for these guys. And it'll help us to really see what we've got. And actually, if you look at, have you looked at the bracket yet for the Gold Cup, Jake? Just the US and, and that group. So... If we end up in second place, we'll get the winner of Costa Rica, Jamaica's group in the quarters, and we would end up on Mexico's side for the semis. Assuming so, Mexico wins their group. Yes, assuming Mexico wins group. So a second place finish in the group versus a first finish is the difference between a path that's pretty straightforward to the finals and a murderer's row. These guys are going to have to perform straight up if they want to win this tournament or even come close. Now, I don't think we should be expecting to win this tournament, but I think that any Gold Cup, we should expect to make the semis. And as a fan, you want the team to perform. You want the team to win. If Canada is truly bringing Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, their, their true A team, coming first in our group just got a lot more difficult with us yes. bringing the team that we expect to bring. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. Having the pressure to perform, not just in the group that we have and potentially like I don't see it as a, a crazy scenario that we come in second in our group and go to that side of the bracket but even then getting the winner of Costa Rica Jamaica and then being on the side of Mexico those are some great games to see what quality we have in this team yeah I've had people on Twitter telling me that they want to see us do a win at all cost mentality gold cup I'm not about that but I do want to see how these guys perform in the bigs and if history has taught me anything it's that I shouldn't absolutely expect to make the World Cup. So to to have this opportunity in the Gold Cup to really find those players to really flesh out what World Cup qualifying is going to be like and really find those players that can give us depth. I'm mm -hmm. all for putting our priority and, and kind of eggs in the basket of making the World Cup. I'm happy with being kings of CONCACAF for two months <laughs> until someone else takes the crown. Obviously, I want the U.S. to win, but it's going to be a, a huge uphill battle if we take our kind of second team against everyone else's first. So with that, let's just go into a fun little game that we've seen on Twitter, we've seen on YouTube, we've seen in the Discord conversation is how the U.S. would perform if they were in the Euros. And there's a few different ways you can kind of look at it, but just overall, ooh, Tom, is, <laughs> Tom is rubbing his hands together. He can't wait to get into this conversation. So Tom, just in general, what do you think the U.S. fans could expect if the U.S. men's national team was in the Euros? How far would they go? What would be a good tournament? I think that the expectations would be 
similar to or a little less than a World Cup, where getting out of the group is a big achievement at a Euro um, tournament for the U.S. Look at those groups, especially like some of the group like groups. Third place would be great. And I don't think there's any shame in that, especially with some recent results we've seen. Uh, what do you think, Jake? Yeah, you mentioned recent results. So we've we've lost a two two one to Switzerland. Switzerland made it out of the group. We drew zero zero against Wales. Wales made it out of the group. The team we played against didn't have Gareth Bale, if I remember. So it wasn't a, a full stack team. It, it, they're also friendly, so it's hard to judge what the result of the game is. We did beat Northern Ireland two one, and they had the same score lines against some good teams. So if I'm looking at kind of recent results, I think I, I agree with you in that third place with four points and getting out of the group stages would be a good result for the U.S. If we made it any further than the final 16, we'd need some luck and potentially some legendary performances from our players. The The flip side of this that I've kind of thought about is just in terms of FIFA rankings and or the ELO system. So for anyone that doesn't know, FIFA ranks teams based on their performances once a month. The U.S. right now is ranked 20th in the world. And if you look at the teams in the Euros right now, who made it out of the group stages and who's in the knockouts, Sweden was the the last highest team to make it out of the group stages before anyone else dropped off. So number 18, Sweden made it out of the group stages. Number 21, Poland did not. And the U.S. sits right between those teams at number 20. So if we're just taking FIFA rankings into account, I think that tells you as well that we should be happy if we made it out of the group stages. It, maybe it's something that you expect to happen more often than that, but it's not a safe bet. I think that with the losers, third place is not an unrealistic expectation for the U.S. in a group. But getting four points is it's a it's a challenge no matter what group you're in and that's sort of the bar for those lucky loser draws it's it's i'm gonna trash my own exercise right now <laughs> it's silly to debate this right because it won't happen and you never know and at the same time in a competitive tournament there's really no rules when it comes to one-off games when you get to the knockout stages anything can happen we're recording this between the Czech Republic and Netherlands game and the Belgium Portugal game and Czech Republic just knocked out the Netherlands to nothing. So you really can't tell what's going to happen. The Czech Republic was ranked number 40. Netherlands was like 13. So it's all, all bets are off in the knockout rounds. And you see that with world cups, you see that with it's going to happen at the gold cup. I guarantee it. But for the U S if you're looking at rankings, if you're looking at our team quality, we're, we're probably in that tier two, tier 2.5 teams in your in the Euros. We're definitely not up there with the Belgiums, the Portugals, the Germanys, the Frances. We're, we're maybe five years, 10 years off from that. But at the same time, it's nice to think about, you know, we we really took the game to Switzerland in our friendly in the first half before they made a change and, and really broke down the press in the second. And you saw how difficult they made life for Italy. So you're just thinking about, you know, if we if we had Pulisic, Tyler Adams, Stefan starting in that game, it was competitive on a neutral field. I, I do think we're kind of at that quality and at that level with Switzerland. I think the thing for me now is that all of those players, like if you gave me your your best starting eleven for the US, all of those players would be 23 years old or younger. So the the future to me, looks like a very good and optimistic way to view like when we get to the World Cup, when we get to 2026 in Mexico, US and, and Canada, when we host, that's really going to be where the bulk of a lot of these players' primes are. That's not to say that there's a lot of 18, 19, 17-year-old players that are really performing at a high level as well. Yeah, the future is bright. I think that while we have to temper our expectations about a current US there are some teams that are there. There are some players that are going to absolutely take the U.S. to another level here in the next decade. So there's a lot to be excited about, even if right now we have to be fairly, you know, cautious about our expectations. I'm wondering, do you have one or two players 
that are that's in your head for that? Like, who are those players that can really take the U.S. to the next level? I I don't know. It's so tricky calling out prospects as like being the next one because there's such a small rate of you know hitting successfully. Mm-hmm. I think Caden Clark is a great shout for it. I think Gio Reyna being 18 years old is a nice choice. You never know what 15-year-old is going to come out of an academy and just light the world up in the next five years. If you read some of the forums or big soccer, I think are they're talking about our 2006s being the best group ever. So how they would be, what, 15 years old? Gosh, <laughs> right that now? makes me feel so old. <laughs> I know. So, I don't know about you, but I was born in 1991. I think you're younger than me. Yeah, I'm so, 90. So... <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> Yeah, we're aging ourselves here. Sorry to <laughs> our young viewers that have to listen to these old men talk about this. But Tom, I think that really is a realistic view. If you had to kind of put us in the shoes of a Poland or a Sweden or even a Czech Republic and you 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 were a betting man, would you say get out of the groups and and get out at the first 16? I would say that's probably the most realistic. But you know, once you get into those knockouts, you never know what's going to happen. So the fans can dream. Yeah, we, we can we we can we can try and say yeah we're gonna win the Euros <laughs> or a tournament similar, but probably not the most realistic thing we've ever dreamed of. No, and and you gotta hand it to us the the U.S. hasn't been in a competitive tournament outside the Gold Cup or Copa America since 2014. It's been seven years since we've had the chance to really compete in a a game that matters against European competition. So. If you're saying along with me that this is dumb, <laughs> that, that it's silly to to propagate on what this would look like, we we just want to get to the point where we're having competitive games again when we're at the World Cup. One one can dream. We've been mm-hmm. deprived of it for almost a decade now. So Tom, I think on our next few episodes, we'll be talking about the finalized Gold Cup roster, which will likely be out next week. So by the time episode six rolls around, we'll have that to discuss. We'll also have some guests coming on the show to talk about the women's national team and what the Olympics looks like. So make sure to stay tuned for that. Thanks everyone for watching, for listening. Follow us on Twitter at soccer underscore nerd underscore 73 (laughs) and at American Fief and enjoy the interview with Sam. Thanks everyone. Bye guys. that they live in in a way to connect it's just like it's such a beautiful game in that respect all right everyone so we're here with our special guest today sam stokes from yank report welcome sam hey how are you jake yeah doing well how about yourself i man i got a little bit of a cold it's kind of dragging me down right now you know but uh but we're we're getting through it we're working through it we, we keep moving. We keep Absolutely. moving. All right. So I just want to start off with anyone that's not familiar with you or your channel. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and the channel that you're running? Uh, yeah, sure. So I started Yank Report about, I don't know, I started in late November of 2020. So it's been, I don't know, six, six, seven months, something like that uh, since it's been up. And it's a U.S. soccer channel. We talk about uh, the U.S. men's national team. I also touch on a lot of like u.s soccer related stuff uh soccer as it pertains to the united states uh talk about mls talk about um you know academy prospects we talked about the the olympic team all that stuff um so it's 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 been fun uh it's something that i started uh i think a lot of the um the current YouTube content creators that are out there like me and uh tactical manager and 11 yanks all kind of started uh, because of the pandemic, you know, and just being uh, stuck at home and seeing like just not having a lot of access to people, you know, just like yeah. not being able to, to to get out there and talk about stuff with people. Um, I was a little bit later to the game than they were, but, uh, you know, I started the channel because I have a, a big background in video production. You can see behind me all of my video production <laughs> stuff. I got a lot of gear back there. Uh, I started doing video production probably seven, eight years ago or something. I, I worked at a radio station and they needed somebody to edit videos. I didn't have any experience doing it, but it, it looked fun. So I started doing it. I, I enjoyed it. They needed somebody to film videos. I started doing that. I started getting better. 
investing in some equipment. Eventually that leaded that led to me starting a, a video production business on the side. After a few years of doing that, I got to the point where I could actually do that full time. So uh, in January of 2020, I started doing that full time. I moved into the studio space. I actually filmed Yankerport uh, in a few doors over. Um, so I moved into the studio space and the pandemic hit, you know, and uh, like a lot of us, there was there was just not a lot going on during that, yeah. you know, didn't didn't have a ton of work. And I really wanted to 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 find opportunities to where um, I could use video production to like bring in income on its own as opposed to like having to have clients hire me for stuff. Yeah. So I actually started producing a um, a YouTube series for someone else first before I started Yank Report. It was a, a, an NFL channel. It kind of had the bones of what Yank Report eventually became. So whenever I eventually s- decided I can do this myself, I know a lot about soccer. I don't know if anybody's going to care about what I have to say about soccer, but uh, I can definitely do this. So uh, whenever I started, I had a ton of experience like uh, shooting a YouTube show and uh, how to like light and set up everything and make it look right. So it kind of came out the gates looking pretty good because I already had months of experience doing that. So uh, started doing it. Actually, the first episode that I recorded, I'd never actually published because I hated it. Uh, you know, you, that, that first thing where like you hate hearing your own voice and you hate seeing yourself talk. And I'm you, going through that now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where you're just like, no one's going to care about this. No one cares about what I have to say, that whole thing. So I made one, kind of learned from it, took some notes. Then I made another one. That one really sucks, but I put it out there. Uh, nobody watched it. I think it had like one comment. And for, like, for the first month, I got... I mean, I had probably like 50 subscribers after the first month. Uh, not a lot of people watching it kind of reflected on what I was doing and kind of what what improvements I could make. Kind of changed the direction a little bit and started to kind of rethink uh, what people actually care about and, and what would like attract people to the channel. Um, changed it up. And, and once I made that change, probably in January of 2021 is whenever people started paying attention and I started getting like, hundreds of subscribers a week and it starts to kind of just build and since then it's it's been crazy man it's been a crazy ride just going from yeah. like anonymous fan to like all of a sudden like people retweet your tweets you know <laughs> the people have spoken i think you, you have <laughs> over two hundred thousand views on your videos now oh really um, yeah almost almost five thousand subscribers total and i do have to say like i i was a fan of kind of all the channels and you guys kind of motivated me to start and I love to look back at your first videos and what the production value was and everything. And even your first video uh, up till now, like if anyone hasn't seen Sam's videos, they are the cleanest visuals, like best recording quality. It's just very pleasing to watch, even if you don't understand anything about soccer, or you're a new fan. It's just pleasing to the eye and to the ears. So yeah, I, I think the people appreciate it, Sam, what you're doing and yeah. just the way you're putting it together. Funny story about that is like there's actually people out there that think that like I might be like a uh, the 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 phrase I saw was industry plant because <laughs> it's like the production value is so good like right off yeah. the top yeah Fox like, Sports in the background yeah yeah exactly like <laughs> like Alexi Lawless is behind the store yeah like, no I just I do video production I've produced podcast I actually produce a weekly podcast for people um, I, I make a ton of videos I've been doing this for a really long time so I have a ton of experience making content. I'm yeah. just new to the to the content side of soccer. I've been a soccer fan for years and years. So, so let's dig into that a, a little bit. So one of the first questions we asked ourselves on the podcast and each of the guests that we've had, it, it was Filippo Silva from Tactical oh, Manager. Cool. So what is your soccer story? As in, what really made you fall in love with the game? Let me just brag on Filippo for a second. Because <laughs> early on, Filippo, I think uh, kicking it with Drew and Filippo were like some of the first two people mm-hmm. in the soccer community to like really reach out and kind of talk to me. And Filippo, uh, anytime I've had questions, I'll, I'll reach out to him. And he, he's just been great. Very gracious. Yeah. Uh, he's, I think he has the most subscribers in the U S. I felt community. genuinely honored. That yeah. He he's a uh, great dude. Gets into a lot of Twitter fights. Uh, <laughs> not welcome in a few countries, but be, but be on his good side. Yeah. Great dude. <laughs> I mean, just like just about every other kid in the United States, I, I kind of grew up playing soccer. Like, 
that's sort of a rite of passage, especially if you uh, grew up in the 90s, like everybody, everybody played soccer. Uh, so I did have that background uh, coming in. I think the the first time it really like I really realized there was a uh, um, a national team was I think the 1994 World Cup. I was uh, hanging out at a friend's house. The friend was like their family was way into soccer, and um, it was the 94 World Cup, and everybody was gathered around the TV, and like I got to experience like there's actually a world cup out there. I, I wasn't really into it at the time. I think the first time I was really into it was, I think the, I don't remember what year it was, but I think it was the first women's world cup. It was the one where Brandy Chastain took off her shirt yeah. after the penalty. Yeah. And I think that was the first time, like I really started like following the national team, you know, and I would follow it kind of here and there over the years. Um, whenever I got to uh, college, I started, um, I remember, I took a trip to Disney World with a friend and uh, it was the summer that the Confederations Cup was going on. 2009. Was, yeah, 2009. Uh, so I followed that tournament. Um, there was like a ton of like commercials and stuff like telling people to watch it. So like we actually watched those games and I don't know if you recall those games, but they were like incredibly exciting. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. beat Spain. The U.S. had that crazy game against Egypt. I mean, it was like this wild thing where like we needed like this certain amount of goals to go in and certain amount of goals yeah. against just to get through. And once we got through, it was like absolutely insane. Um, so that kind of drew, drew me in and I got attracted to the team because there was a lot of kids that were like my age ish that were on the team and like uh, Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore and they were playing in Europe and I wanted to follow their careers and see where they were going. So at that time, there wasn't a ton of uh, ways to do that. I remember I found uh, Soccer by Ives, and I'd followed that website just every day. I would follow that website, and it's nothing like it is now. Where like now, after the game, you get like every touch videos from like even uh, kids playing <laughs> yeah. in academies. Then you would get a line that said like, uh, "Josie Altador played sixty minutes and got a yellow card," you know, and that was like your recap of the game for that week. Uh, so I followed that, got really into the comment section. Um, another thing that happened is like in college, I got introduced to, uh, FIFA, the video game and got like way into FIFA. I think FIFA is a big part of like a lot of our stories yeah. of how we get into the game. It's a great way to learn about different clubs and the players. And especially for me, at least like ultimate team in like 2012, 13, just collecting all the cards and having like each player implanted in my brain on what club they they had all the flags of the countries to correlate absolutely, at least for me yeah. like, that was a huge part yeah yeah absolutely so from playing fifa i got more into watching the international game i had a, a job in college where i had a lot of downtime during the day and uh i believe espn just came out with their streaming platform i think it was called espn3 at the time and espn3 had just about like every european soccer game you could want and it was pretty much the only thing on in the summer in the middle of the day. Um, so I would watch all the uh, European games I could um, and just kind of got more and more into the sport until eventually I became uh, a soccer obsessed human that I am today. Like all these other people. <laughs> yeah. It was, <laughs> it's funny. There's so many different ways that people get into the game, man. And, yeah. and one of the big ones is like right now there's a, there's, a massive wave of uh, first generation immigrant children that mm -hmm. that are like huge into the sport. So if you're on like Twitter or anywhere, you're going to, you're going to run into a lot of these people from just like a lot of different backgrounds yeah. that kind of use uh, soccer as an, a, an identifier. You know, it's something that's like part of their uh, home culture, but also part of like this, the current country that they live in in a way to connect. It's just like, it's such a beautiful game in that respect. And, and the cultural side of things is something that I really appreciate about soccer. So what's it like being a soccer fan in the South and what is the culture around soccer in Louisiana? Yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a weird question to ask because it's kind of like asking a fish, what's it like being in water, you know? Because like <laughs> I don't really have a perspective of like outside of, of Louisiana, what the culture's like, outside of like trips that I've taken to other places. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you could expect that there's not a tremendous soccer culture outside of like kids play it, like a lot of people play it um, up to the point where they usually get to high school and then it kind of falls off. Um, 
but it's soccer is not something that I, I talk about with like friends a lot. There's not a lot of people that are really um, up to date on the game. Uh, some people might follow the Premier League. Very few people follow MLS. Mm-hmm. Like nobody knows about MLS. Like I, I couldn't like talk about Jean-Luc Abusio to anybody at a bar or anything like that. Uh, so because of that, you know, almost all of my soccer conversations happen online on like Reddit or Twitter or something like that. Yeah. And I think that's that's true for a lot of people in a lot of different places. Like soccer is one of these sports that um, that has grown because of online and connectivity and, and people can connect there and really talk about this game. And it's it's really allowed the game to like grow in kind of different directions than kind of traditional U.S. sports where we have all this like just organic stuff that kind of bring brings up uh builds up yeah. just like yeah just like this new wave of uh youtube content creators and mm-hmm. just all the podcasts and just everything that's kind of grown yeah. up because of there's just a lack of, of of uh of mainstream stuff that we could tap yeah. in well you mentioned like soccer by iva as, as kind of the one place that you could go and find different information way back in the day mm-hmm. and now it's just crazy like the explosion of content creators podcasts um if you go on youtube like you and a few others are really the place that people are going to go to for their information or like usmnt videos makes incredible compilations mm-hmm. like halfspaces.com does some really interesting takes on ratings like there's all these these different places that people can go to now to track along that progression i think one thing you you pointed out about soccer kind of transcending that culture across like whether it's if you live in louisiana or if you live in kansas city and you can talk about gianluca busio in a bar without being weird like everyone kind of wants these young Americans to succeed no matter what team they're on. When they go to Europe, we're all rooting for them. And like, even if you hate Chelsea, you want, you want Chelsea to lose five, four every game and Pulisic to score four goals. Like there's kind of this camaraderie in the, this underdog story where we're, we're at a turning point where Mm -hmm. the U S could potentially be a, a really good team going forward. Yeah. And it's, it's created this, culture i i don't know if it's unique in the world of sports I, I don't know enough to know that but there's a ton of us who really don't have a team that we follow you know uh we follow the americans wherever they go mm-hmm. uh i watch uh i watched every game for josie whenever he was at sunderland i watched a ton of yedlin whenever he was at sunderland whenever he moved i stopped watching sunderland i didn't care about sunderland anymore yeah. i was actually excited that i didn't have to watch them anymore <laughs> and i just kind of do that you know hop from team to team and yeah. follow the player from for wherever they play once they leave that team i don't really care about the team anymore and then, it's, it's, then let's hope uh sergeant moves from Werder Bremen this year. So no yeah, one has to watch that. There's a lot of rumors that's going to happen. So <laughs> yeah. hopefully that, that happens. I think he will. Yeah. But awesome that you have Yank Report now as kind of your outlet to discuss the game and have those conversations online. So let's move to something that's active right now. The Euros are obviously happening as we speak. Um, do you have a team that you're rooting for in the Euros? I, uh, no, I never have a team. <laughs> um, I've, I've watched not for much MLS, not for Americans, game. not really, man. Um, not in soccer, at least. Uh, I've watched pretty much every Euro game. I'm, I mean, I've missed probably two or three. Um, there's, it, it's super. It's a super interesting tournament. I mean, there's uh, France, of course, is just unbelievable. They're unbelievable just about every position, um, and the. I think the difference between them and kind of everybody else is that they not only are so good up and down the lineup, but they also have Mbappe who's like can do anything it seems like. And this tournament seems like his coming out party where he's really kind of taking over the world right now. Uh, So, I mean, they're super interesting to watch this Italian team that seems to uh, just be resurgent for the Italians where, Mm -hmm. you know, they missed the world cup just like we did. And they've been kind of down in the dumps for a while. So seeing them return and, and seeing the, the players that they have, uh, so that's been interesting. The English team is always fun to follow. They're like w- the, one of the great soap operas in, in world football. Uh, so just seeing the storylines and just, you know, everything that comes about after an England game. I mean, they won their last game pretty handedly and I still saw uh, there's so much criticism of Southgate (laughs) and like his roster selections and playing a right back at left back and just like all this stuff, you know? I'm Um, actually in London right now uh, and living here for the next few years. And there's just so much um, 
pessimism around the team. It's like, you, you don't know what's going on in camp. You don't know what the coach is trying to do from a tactical perspective. And if you win, then you have to trust that the coach made the right decision. But that that's not embedded here that's not in the English culture. thing. Like yeah, that. everyone knows better than Gareth. Pessimism Southgate. is kind of like a an English cultural thing, it right? Is, like, yeah, like that the idea that like doom is just around the corner is but kind the of weird like, part for me is that they're aware of it. <laughs> like they're they're aware that pessimism is yeah. ingrained in them I'm in a, their culture. I'm a big fan of uh, English uh, TV shows and, and comedy and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I love the English panel shows. And I remember uh, somebody, I, I forget which comedian it was, talked about like the difference between English humor and American humor is like an American comedy is like where Adam Sandler is just like an everyday schlub <laughs> and like by the end of the movie, he's like the mayor of the town and has the beautiful girlfriend and like life is great for him. Whereas the English comedy, the guy starts out as the mayor of the town and has the beautiful girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And by the end of it, he's a schlub with no money and is just a complete loser. It's like that just Sounds felt the right. difference in, in, in how, how we view the world. Yeah. And it comes through on that, that English team. Definitely. But, so see, do you have uh, a team winning the, the Euros? I mean, it's going to be tough to beat France right now. It's going to be tough yeah. to beat France. I think that's a pretty safe pick. <laughs> I mean, anything can happen in a soccer game. You know, you get yeah. a red card, you get a penalty, you know, stuff stuff happens. Uh, it's it's a knockout game, but it's going to be tough to beat France. And, you know, the one guy who could do it is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, man. That Portugal team, I, I love watching Ronaldo just because he's probably the most clutch soccer player that's ever lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he could just seemingly do whatever he wants whenever he wants i mean that that game that their first game that they had where he was just uh a non-factor for the majority of the game and then ends up with a brace i don't know how many games i've watched ronaldo play where he was a non-factor for most of the game and then ends up with a brace it just seems to happen over and over again uh the guy can just get goals and and if you're in a game where it's a, a knockout game and you're up against that guy uh, yeah. he, he's scary. He even did a toss in a World Cup. We had the game in the bag against Portugal and they swung it across to his head in the last minute and we, we had to not lose to Germany by a large amount to advance. That cross was unbelievable. I don't know when the last time you watched it, but I mean, he hit that cross. He crossed the, the halfway line and he hit that cross with so much power and so much accuracy that the forward that headed it in, I forget the guy's name, Ronaldo basically kicked it at his face. Like <laughs> yeah. That guy didn't have to move. He didn't have to direct it into the goal. I mean, it was Ronaldo a willed that ball into, into yeah. the net. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what Ronaldo can do if you can stop Mbappe. Um, what, in two weeks when this episode airs, we'll see if uh, you're a little bit further to being correct. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch. It's fun. It's the drama is great. You know, we've, but we've already had some like real issues with the tournament. You know, um, one thing people always talk about like CONCACAF as it's like a, a, a level below or like a joke or, or mm-hmm. like all the stuff. And like the, the European uh, soccer is just like the, the pinnacle of world soccer. And, you know, it's got the, it's the storied history and everything. And it does it. Um, no, no doubting that. But if you look at the tournament this year, the euros, like it's kind of a, a mess. Like, it's yeah. wild like the the way that they've um the way that they've done the group stage where some teams get home games and some yeah. don't some get more home games than others it's not like a fair equal uh way to do it and then some of the teams that get home games get fans in the stands and others don't and it's just like completely jumbled it doesn't make any sense um then there's the uh, the way that the the Spanish national team's COVID situation was handled, where it's just like, okay, so you don't have like ten of your best players. Figure that out right before the <laughs> tournament. And then of course the um, the Christian Eriksen thing was just, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to say about that. But I forget what game it was. It was it the France Germany game where that guy was like clearly concussed. Yeah, I'm a uh, little, Pavard. This cold is kind of messing with my brain right now. But yeah, like, it was Pavard was, for that France. That was tough to watch because clearly the dude was knocked out and, and they brought him yeah. back in the game. Just He was out cold. He, he 
got knocked out by the kick or the, the leg to the back of his head, and then he hit his face on the ground, and he was knocked out. We How saw, can you we, go back I mean, in the game? We saw him out. We, the, yeah. We saw it. It's yeah, just, so. just disgusting. Just knowing what we know about head trauma and like the mm-hmm. the the risk he was putting himself in by uh, coming back on the field. Yeah. Just really disappointing from all involved. I think uh, Taylor Twelman would probably take an hour to rant about that situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so... The U.S. just put out their new away jerseys, uh, red and blue, kind of glitch mob style. Uh-huh. What do you think of the jerseys? You know, whenever I first saw them, I didn't really like them. But I think a lot of that had to do with the the pictures that they use on the release. And like as a um, as a video guy, like I could see right away that like the color correction was like really weird on them. Like mm-hmm. if you look at like the picture of like Weston McKinney, he was almost yellow. You know, and I, I know what Weston McKinney looks like. He's yeah. not a yellow person. You know, Christian Pulisic looked like slightly different. So like the, the colors of the jersey almost looked orange. It almost looked like an orange and purple jersey. And I think people really didn't like that. Uh, they were just like so inconsistent from one to the other. And I don't know what the deal with that was, how like Nike or U.S. soccer allowed that to happen. It was not good at all. But whenever you actually saw them on the women's team, I mean, they look, I, I think they look great. I think they look really cool. I think yeah. it's really interesting. Similar for me, the the bomb pop jerseys when they first came out, I hated the initial like style or whatever pictures they put out. And then once you see them on the players in the game, it definitely grows on you. Um, Whatever they have the numbers on them and everything. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then you start associating memories with those jerseys. (laughs) This this is really just your long form application to Nike and US soccer to Get Sam to do your video production. <laughs> Might have been a bit more successful. <laughs> I don't know if I'm up to that level, but I could I could do better than go. Oh, that was I mean, go back and look at those pictures. And the, the telltale giveaway yeah. is that they were all taken with the same background, but that background looks different in every picture. And yeah, if you're taking reference. product photos, like do you want the colors to be accurate? <laughs> I, I don't I don't understand what they were doing there, yeah. but I think it it kind of put a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths when they first saw the jerseys. Uh, of course, there's also a big demographic that's just going to hate on it, just to hate on it, you know, but yeah. you're not going to please that's everybody. That's what U.S. soccer fans do. So, <laughs> But I, I do like them a lot better than like the, uh, whatever, the Blotch River jerseys. That was one that of the worst now. jerseys I've yeah, they look, ever seen. I'm not going to get that for any one. team. Yeah. No. Um, do you have a favorite U.S. soccer jersey? <sighs> I have a few. I mean, I I mean the Waldos, of course, are yeah. are my favorites. I really like this. Um, let me grab it. Hold on. I can, I don't know how to describe it. I'll show it to you. <laughs> oh, what yeah. do you call this one? I, <laughs> I feel it. like I associate that jersey with Stephen Trundolo. Yeah, yeah. Landon Donovan. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think this this was a, a World was that two thousand two World Cup. I remember Gucci on Yewu in this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really nice. And it's got this like, uh, I always thought it was all white, but you could see like it's like blue. Yeah, you can. White. Yeah. So, yeah, I really like this one. But I like a lot of the white jerseys we've been putting out lately. Like yeah. our current white one is really clean. Mm-hmm. Did you like the the golf style jerseys that we wore to the, I think it was the 2014 World Cup? I'm not a fan of jerseys with collars. Didn't feel right. But. Yeah, the centennial, of course, is a fantastic look. I mean, yeah. really clean. Our current one kind of looks like the centennial. So, you know, I think we've done a great job with our white jerseys lately, but our, our secondary jerseys are, yeah. you know, they've kind of been hit or miss. I think the current one's a hit. I think people are going to, like, once They're they sleeping see them, on it, once the gold cup comes around and you see the players wearing them, I think. Especially if we're winning, then we can associate some good memories to to the jersey yeah i mean speaking of the gold cup uh i can't remember was it 2018 i don't remember which year but when we had the actual the jerseys that look like the waldos like the red mm-hmm. and blue stripes and we ended up not qualifying for the world cup so those kind of went down in history as like yeah. cool jerseys that kind of some had bad a, juju attached yeah, to them. negative association yeah. <laughs> with them so cool. speaking of the world cup uh, sorry the gold cup uh what are you most looking forward to in that tournament I'm most looking forward to hopefully seeing a lot of the um, young MLS players that we're really excited about 
get debuts with the national team, kind of see what they can do at, at a level that's a little bit stepped up from, from MLS. I mean, specifically Jean-Luc Abusio. Jean-Luc Abusio is one of my favorite players in MLS right now. And, um, you know, the sixth position is something that's a, a struggle for the U.S. men's national team behind Tyler Adams. I don't know if Busio's a six for the national team or if he's an eight or whatever it is, but I do know that whenever I watch him in MLS, he seems like he's just floating, like he's just gliding out there. He seems like he's just 10 steps ahead of everyone else, and he seems like he's using like uh, 0.2% of his ability, that he's just casually yeah. dominating. So I'm curious what he looks like whenever he's has to step up a level, if the game's a little bit faster, if it's a little bit nastier, if people are kind of coming in studs up at him and, and putting in elbows, kind of how he reacts to that. Um, so Busio for sure is one that I'm interested to see. Of course, you know, Caden Clark, Kate Cowell, all those guys, uh, Daryl DK, what he's going to do with uh, extended minutes. Now yeah. I'm presuming all these players are going to be on the team, but of course, yeah. like we have no idea. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> do, has. Do you have a idea. Euro based player that you think is going to feature for the team? I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I put out a video for um, my prediction for the Gold Cup roster, and I didn't include any Euro-based players because it's just it's such a weird thing. Now, of course, uh, for those who don't know, um, because of COVID-19, the um, Nations League got pushed back and the Gold Cup got pushed back. They got pushed into the same window. So we have two tournaments in one summer. Uh, the Gold Cup had to be moved back into July. And because of that, uh, it's going to be overlapping with European preseason. Uh, so that means a lot of the Euro players who might have been able to participate in the Gold Cup, suddenly, if they participate in the Gold Cup, they're going to have to miss preseason, which may or may not be a bad thing for their particular team, especially if they're in a new situation with a new manager or a new club yeah. or something like that. It's not something you want to do. And me personally... I don't like the idea of the European players missing their preseason. I think it's really important for them to be a part of it. I've seen so many times where an American has been injured for preseason or got transferred after preseason, and it took almost until the winter window before they start to get integrated with the club. We actually we saw that from Christian Pulisic this year where yeah. he was out for the preseason and Lampard kind of had his lineup set. And by the time the season came in, Christian, it, it just took him a long time to actually break into the team. Same thing with uh, Tim Weah this year, even though he, yeah. he was kind of battling back from injury. But at the same time, if he would have been healthy and a part of that team in the preseason and, and would have been able to run with those drills, you know, he might have been able to be a bigger part of that team early on. I, yeah. I think, Do you think someone like Luca De, De La Torre is going to stay with his team for preseason. Well, my thought on it is, let's say Luca De La Torre comes into the Gold Cup and has an amazing Gold Cup, right? Like, he just looks fantastic. He looks lights out. But then he goes back to Heracles, and because he missed preseason, his coach fell in love with another player in his position, and all of a sudden, he's got to claw his way back into, uh, into the lineup for Heracles. Yeah. Yeah. That means maybe the first month or two, he misses... He doesn't get as much playing time as, as he would have. Now, all of a sudden, qualifiers come around in September. And yeah, Luca De La Torre had a great uh, goal cup, but he hasn't played in two months. So yeah. now Berhalter's got to make a decision like, do I take the guy who was great in goal cup but hasn't played in two months? Or do I take somebody who's playing great right now? You know, what's better for Luca De La Torre ultimately? Is it better for him to have a great Gold Cup or is it better for him to come out firing with his uh, with his team? For me, I think it's better for him to come out firing with his team. Uh, and I think that across the board. Um, now, there is a world, of course, where De La Torre has a great Gold Cup, goes back to Heracles and just steps right back in and is good to go. But I, I don't know if any of our players are as um, solidified in their teams that they can yeah. do that outside of like a John Brooks or, or somebody mm -hmm. like that. Well, someone who's, even, who's already established yeah. in their team and starting but, 11. But he's not somebody who, who's available. You know, the guys right. who we're talking about are like Cameron Carter Vickers, who's potentially transferring. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't think any of the guys that are transferring or have new coaches yeah. get, get called in. So maybe, maybe De La Torre is the guy but De La Torre, it hasn't been, I mean, he's been at Heracles for a couple of seasons. Are we going to, and, and 
last season was really his breakout season mm-hmm. where he kind of established himself with the club. Are we ready to say that he's suddenly established, especially in a league where they're known for uh, bringing up young players and integrating yeah. them in? Like, do we really want him to 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 possibly get passed up in, in the roster and give somebody else an opportunity? I, I don't know. I mean, people will definitely argue against me. I, I know some people think that like it's really important that we win the gold cup to maintain like this uh, winner's mentality and, and, and to draw more fans in. And I totally get that argument. Uh, I just think that it's, if we're, um, if we're putting the gold cup ahead of these players start to the season, I just, I, I don't know if like long-term that really makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, who knows? Nobody knows what's going to happen with this gold cup roster. It's truly, completely up in the air like They're nobody has any idea a 60 man provisional <laughs> roster which is yeah. just about the entire pool so like <laughs> you and me might be on this yeah list. there there we go we're, we're number 61 and 62 probably it's we could say we just missed out <laughs> have more questions than answers like yeah. the big and the big storyline i think people are talking about is uh some of the mls veterans that are going to be a part of the gold cup most likely uh, like your Christian Roldan's your Jossie Zardes's your uh, your Paul Areola's guys like that, who the fan base just does not like and does not want to mm-hmm. see again, uh, but are very likely to be part yeah. of this team because they're like of that domestic base. They're like the veterans they are the core guys. They're the guys who like Berhalter knows and, and knows that uh, he can bring them in and not have to like, re-explain everything and for me i think i think i differ with a lot of fans in that i think that that's important like i think Mm -hmm. it's important on a human level that whenever john luca busio shows up to u.s men's national team camp for the first time that there's somebody there who's like hey look you put your bags over here and then we come to uh meetings at 10 o'clock and then after that uh, we're going to chill for a little bit and then we go to practice. This is where you line up in yeah. practice. This is what you're expected to do in practice. You know, you're not playing at a high enough level right now. You need to bring more intensity. I I think those things are really important, but I know a lot of people don't. I know a lot of people dismiss that. <laughs> I'm surprised you built such a large community with all these rational takes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely get hammered a lot for it, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, that was that was one thing about uh, this last roster, this last Nations League roster is like I said Tim Ream was going to be a part of it and people just like Tim Ream should never be <laughs> no, a part of it. Greg me, definitely like, has those buffer players where yeah. like you know what their floor is and it's relatively high. They probably don't have a ton of improvement to go, but if you need to depend on someone, there has to be those players in camp. Yeah, yeah, like we got to remember that before this Nations League tournament, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Serginho Dest, I mean, none of these players, Josh Sargent, Daryl DeGate, none of these players had like really had an important game for the national team, mm-hmm. at least an important game where like they're the leaders. Weston McKinney, for instance, played in the last Gold Cup, but so did Michael Bradley. Like in the last Gold Cup, Weston McKinney was just a young player who needed to be like a young player. Right. He was just kind of like a, a player that was expected to run for Bradley and just kind of be all over the field. Mm-hmm. This tournament, he came in as one of the captains and as one of the leaders. And I, I think that people forget about like that whole shift, like that you say, Wes McKinney's playing in Juventus in the Champions League and he, uh, he's this CONCACAF stuff should be old hat for him. But whenever Wes McKinney's playing for Juventus, Wes McKinney's not doing post game press conferences. Nobody cares about what Weston McKinney has to say after the game. Nobody's expecting Weston McKinney to score goals or to like save Juventus. Nobody's criticizing Weston McKinney's effort as like a reason why the team didn't win. You know, people aren't taking pictures of Weston McKinney after the game and, and putting headlines around him and saying like, <laughs> yeah. did he bring enough? He's got Ronaldo and he's got Chiellini and he's got Gigi Buffon. He's got these like 30 plus year old players that have seen and done it all. Like his role for his team is so different than what it is for the national team. And that's something that like on a personal level, he's got to like figure out and comes to grips with. And I think that's something where like a Tim Ream who's like been through it all is like a good player to have around just Mm -hmm. for like his, his head, you know? Yeah. And that goes for like a lot of these players in there. Um, Even Yedlin at the nation's league was kind of that player. 
Yeah. Just keep keep your temper, like know what the game is going to be like. I think it was a brilliant move to bring Yedlin in, especially for that Mexico game, man. Just to, mm-hmm. uh, just to have those guys out there who, who have kind of been through it before. Because, I mean, you could tell watching that Nations League tournament that it was almost like a video game where each level the boss got like scarier and scarier, <laughs> yeah. man. Because that Switzerland game, you know, we kind of got handled by, by a veteran Swiss team, but they were kind of going in slow motion. And then on Honduras, we got that first taste of like anything goes CONCACAF. And in that Mexico game, I mean, right from the first whistle, it was just crazy. Crazy in a way that a lot of these players have never experienced something specific like that before. It was Uh, great for us fans. One of the most watchable games you'll ever see. Insane. And I actually, I made a tweet saying something like, uh, uh, the the Euros are a bit of a letdown after the USA-Mexico game. And I've, I've gotten a lot of people like, how can you say that the Euros are such higher quality soccer or whatever? Watch whatever. the games. It's, like, it's different, man. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a different thing. I've I've come to really enjoy the uh the shit housing. Uh, that was your so tweet that moved you into the Filippo Silva realm <laughs> of tweeting. <laughs> it's <laughs> Just really a, stir the pot. I'm, I'm a, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that I'm 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 up there with Filippo because he's kind of the master of that kind of trolling, <laughs> but. Uh, but I will say, especially after uh, listening to the Scuff podcast show with Waki, where they talked mm-hmm. about shit housing and like the whole art of shit housing, I've like come to really enjoy and appreciate that aspect of the yeah. game. I don't know about you or where you're at on it, but like watching the Euros, where that part part of the game yeah. is just not there at all. <laughs> it's just as like, long as we're the ones doing it to the other team, then it's great. As soon as. Uh, the keeper's down injured and holds the ball for seven minutes, then then I'm mad. But, um, all right. Are you ready to get to the speed round? Yeah, dude. Let's do a speed round. Okay. So I'm going to throw out these questions and just as fast as you can rattle off your answers, we'll, we'll go there. So you, Sam Stokes, are handed the coaching reins with a must-win game in the World Cup qualifiers. Greg's out of there. You're in. It's a must-win game. What is your formation and starting 11? Uh, 4-3-3. Um, I'll go with Ethan Horvath. Over oh, Zach hot takes goal. here. Uh, we, I'll go, I think we said quick, Sam. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go Cannon. Assuming everybody's healthy, I'll go Richards at right center back, Brooks at left center back. I'll go Dest at left back, Tyler Adams, defensive midfielder, uh, McKinney and Mosa in the midfield, and then Reyna, DK, uh, Pulisic up All right. as the front three. Nice. All right. Well, we might see that in the future. We might not. Depends who's coaching. Sam, you're probably not going to be it. So we might. I mean, that's not too far <laughs> off from lineups that we've seen. And I think with the uh, Nations League, it was a big test for Josh Sargent. And I'm not 100% yeah. sure that he really passed that test. Or it seemed like least. your lineup was a lot in like who who gained the most from Nations League. The Horvaths, yeah. the, the DKs. Yeah, Horvath. I, I mean, Horvath, I feel safer when Horvath yeah. is in the game versus whenever... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Stefan's in the game. He seems to gotcha. produce a little bit less wild moments. I mean, the mm-hmm. the thing for me though is still the fullback situation. Um, yeah, and, and I think talk was, to me more about the cannon pick for you. Well, I, I mean, you did. You just said pick players. You <laughs> didn't really give me any information about who we're playing or or, or what. You know, yeah. But, uh, trot out your best eleven. <laughs> yeah, I mean the line it, for for me. One thing that we learned from the Nations League, especially whenever it came to that Mexico lineup, is that Greg does not trust his fullbacks at all to defend, mm-hmm. uh, especially Anthony Robinson. I, I don't think that there's been any situation where we might see pressure from the wings that Greg has put in Anthony Robinson. I think that speaks volumes. Uh, he has gone with with Cannon. Um, in the Nations League, in, in the Mexico game, he went with Yedlin. So he had that... Um, he had that veteran aspect as well as a player who could defend and a player with speed. Of course, Yedlin's not going to be able to do the short passing and the combination play as well as Cannon. Robinson is a lot better offensively than Cannon. Uh, I, I think that, that that fullback situation is, is going to be really interesting moving forward. And then with Dest, I mean, I, of all the players uh, from the Nations League, 
if you look at like stock up, stock down, I think yeah. Des is that one that people circle and are like, that just, it wasn't good enough. He did not react well to the, to the CONCACAF. No, he didn't. We never saw those great moments from Serginho Des that you would expect. His defense throughout the tournament was just very suspect. Uh, mm. I thought in the Swede- in the Switzerland game, his commitment to defense was just non-existent. Like he just yeah. did not care about getting back. He's he not, if you he watch any games where he's a friendly or it's yeah. a friendly, like Serginho Dest really doesn't care about no, work no, rate at all. But it seemed um, like the um the concacapness kind of got to him. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, if you're in a USA Mexico game and you're the Barcelona starter and you get pulled in the 60th minute and nobody's outraged about that, like, He should be the one that's most outraged, though. And, like, that's what I want to see from him, at least, is the reaction that I'm I'm a starter at Barcelona. I'm getting pulled in the 62nd minute to put on some schmuck (laughs) from a second-tier league. Like, I need to do better. It's not about like Greg or anyone else, but yeah, man. I mean, and and in that Mexico game, they put him as in the uh, in the wing back, which is supposed to be the formation that really suits him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just did. I mean, there was that one moment where he dribbled like four Mexico players and, and created something, but like outside of that, uh, yeah. his contribution as one of like the superstars on the squad throughout the Nations League was very concerning. And I think a lot of it was a mentality and effort thing. Uh, I mean, clearly he's going to be a part of the setup moving forward. Uh, but that's an issue, not just for him on the U.S. Miss National Team, but also him at Barcelona. Like that's mm-hmm. something like you can't be a Barcelona fullback and not defend. I think yeah. I saw somewhere that he's uh, valued as one of the top 10 uh, fullbacks in the world right now, something like that. So I think that's because people assume you can teach defending. Like if you have all the intangibles of athleticism, dribbling, like passing, then you can teach the things that are going to make you a truly great fullback. And Dust is still young enough to do that, but it's it's scary with him and just in terms of commitment and work rate. I totally agree. Yeah, so much um, of defending is just mentality, like yeah, just effort. Determination. You know, determination, yeah. yeah. So who's your favorite current player? My favorite current player is probably Christian Pulisic. Okay. Probably. Who's the player with the highest ceiling? Highest ceiling? American? Yep. Biggio Reyna? Okay. Who's the player the fan base is totally wrong about? Oh, man. I don't know if there is a player that the fan base is totally wrong about. The fan base is so like wildly diverse and different. I think one player that nobody's talking about that could potentially make a big impact on the uh, senior team is Sam Vines, particularly for all those reasons that we just discussed. Um, Now, Sam Vines is not exactly a defensive specialist. His defensive statistics are are not that exciting, not that great. Uh, But he is a pragmatic player and he is an effort player. And if he has a great gold cup, now he'd have to to have a very good gold cup. But if he has a great gold cup, particularly with where I think that Burhalter sees Robinson. Uh, I think he, he's a player yeah. that potentially could be a part of this thing going forward. Him and Bello probably have a lot to gain in this Gold Cup to catch up to Anthony Robinson. Um, Absolutely. All right, so last portion, I'm going to throw out a player name and you provide the highest ceiling possible for this player. So for instance, if I said Weston McKinney, you might say, Arturo Vidal. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So we're going to go with six players, another speed round, throw it out. Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams. I mean, N'Golo Conte is the the one that comes to mind first. Damn. All right. I'm I'm a huge Tyler Adams fan. (laughs) Me too. I love his game. I'm reffing the Red Bulls right now. So, all right. He's different than Conte. Uh, Conte. Wasn't I mean Conte's gotten a lot better at uh, being on the ball and like being a creator since he's been at Chelsea. Whenever he whenever mm-hmm. he was at Leicester, that wasn't really a part of his game. He was kind of just like destroyer engine guy, and I think Tyler can do that um, if he ever just gets extended minutes at defensive midfielder. But teams yeah. just want to play him at right back for whatever reason. Conte was insane for France in that first Euro game. But um, all right, next one is Cade Cowell. Cade Cowell. Maybe uh, he reminds me like a James Milner. Like that's Do you think he'll switch positions at some point in his career? I think I think he's a um, 
I think he's an outside forward. I think that's his 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 yeah. position. I don't think he's going to be playing in the middle for for too too long. Mm-hmm. I think he's just playing in the middle because that's where he can. Yeah, that's where uh, they have the space for him. Yeah, uh, Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent. Gosh, his absolute ceiling. Maybe his ceiling is like Raul Jimenez. Maybe nice, nice. That's a good ceiling. Solid ceiling. I mean, I don't think he's going to be as good as him. <laughs> yes, but we'll, we'll be lucky if he gets anywhere close to it. But um, George Bello. George Bello. Um, let's see. George Bello. Gosh, now you're asking me to think about left backs throughout the world. Uh, he's not a left back, but maybe a quadrado type player. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, he's moved back technician. to right back. Skillful. Yeah. He's smooth. I don't think he's as fast as Quadrado. I mean, Quadrado yeah. was like an incredible fast player. But I did do some some analysis on George Bello a, a week ago, a week or so ago, and especially for Atlanta, he tucks in in like a three five two and plays defensive mid a lot. So mm-hmm. he's really that's versatile. A, that's a movement that we're seeing a lot of uh, teams do. Yeah, um, yeah. Particularly the fullbacks are, are like becoming real integral parts of teams. I mean, you're seeing fullbacks like become wingers and you're seeing fullbacks mm-hmm. become defensive midfielders and, and just like all kinds of stuff. Definitely. Yeah. So Chris Richards, Chris Richards, let's see who could Chris Richards ceiling. Uh, I'm thinking Jerome Boateng. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to have a solid team if everyone reaches, reaches <laughs> the ceiling. <laughs> so the last one is a player we just mentioned, Serginho Dest. Serginho Dest. I mean, Serginho Dest reminds me of Marcelo a lot. Just he needs to that, grow out his hair a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Just because, I mean, they're both players with like incredible uh, touch. I mean, Marcelo, whenever I think about him, I think about uh, his just ability to pull a ball out of the air and just make it stop dead on his foot, mm-hmm. like wherever he is. I mean, and then the way that he just likes to uh, take players on one-on-one. So that sort of reminds me of him. Now, nice. Marcelo was probably the best right back in the world for like a decade. We're talking about the highest ceilings here, so <laughs> I think you're allowed. But now, Filippo, uh, <laughs> Filippo criticizes Marcelo's defending. He said he never learned how to defend. Well, he's Brazilian, so yeah, he can say what he wants. Us as outsiders watching Marcelo can just pretty appreciate good, man. Yeah, I remember the U.S. playing against Brazil and just like Marcelo just shutting everybody down. Uh, but I guess I'm, yeah, I'm sure Filippo well, is when Charlie Davies is the one running at you. Yeah, you might be a good defender as well. Yeah, Landon Donovan <laughs> didn't really have the most skill moves out there. Just kind of no. push it past and run. So Sam, you made it through our questions. You made it through our speed round. Congratulations! Woo-hoo. Thank you for trucking through us with the cold that you have. Um, <laughs> I just want to give you the spotlight now to promote like whatever's next for your channel. Anything else that you're working on that you want to talk about? Yeah, man. Um, I mean, the channel still feels brand new to me. So uh, there's still like a lot of opportunity to do a lot of different things. I want to do more stuff like this where like I uh, I bring on other content creators and other people in the space and, and, and have conversations kind of outside of like the immediate what's going on with the national team right mm-hmm. now. Um, but we'll kind of see how that goes. I mean, the next thing on tap is the Gold Cup. So I'm sure I'll have a ton of content surrounding that. Uh, channel just keeps continuing to grow uh the comment section gets bigger and bigger every week uh new people come in and, and, and drop lines uh make sure if you're a fan to follow me on twitter at report yank on twitter um I, i'm pretty active on twitter um and support all the content creators out there there's a lot of people in the space uh there's a lot of new people popping up like yourself who are doing great work uh so if you're a soccer fan make sure you're spreading the wealth out there and uh checking out everything that there is to check out out there awesome well we thank you so much sam if you guys want to check out his channel it's sam stokes at yang report on youtube awesome channel like i said the best visuals audio you'll ever see in a u.s (laughs) soccer uh, content so thanks again so much sam for joining us no problem jake enjoyed it man 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 man